Radio FM Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Bombs are flying, people are dying, children are crying, politicians are lying too. Cancer is killing, Texaco's spilling. The whole world's gone to hell, but how are you? I'm super! Thanks for asking! All things considered, I couldn't be better, I'm a thing! I'm feeling super! No, nothing bugs me! Everything is super when you're... Don't you think I look cute in this hat? I'm so sorry, Mr. Cripple! But I just can't feel too bad for you right now! Because I'm feeling so insanely super! That even the fact that you can't walk can bring me down. Hey, super, thanks for asking. All things considered, it could be better, he must say. I'm super, no, nothing bugs me. Everything is super when you're good. Do you think I look cute in this? Have these little pants with magic time that I got at home. I'm super. And welcome to the Weekly Review. It's Roman. It's Friday, July 15th, 2016. And that song has been in my on, on my mind for a little bit uh, because every week there's more violence and destruction in the world, which has been happening for a very, very long time, for centuries. And I feel there's some folks who maybe were not aware of it, some people who are, and how do we cope and other people who recognize that, yeah, this is the world we're living in, and how do we make things better? How do we stop the destruction that's happening? I like the idea of finding the good that's out there and the beauty in the world uh, while still recognizing, yeah, there's a lot of things that are messed up, and how can we change that, and how do we celebrate the good things that are happening? So that's a goal that I have for the show and just for my life in general. It doesn't always come out. And oftentimes when one is sharing the news, there's a lot of really depressing and enraging things that are happening. And how do we balance those things out? So of course, the first few lines of that song, South, of course from South Park, you know, bombs are flying, politicians lying. We've got, there's pollution. There's just so many things that are really horrible that are happening in the world. Uh, but then we still, you know, go around asking folks how they are. And I, I do that too. And how, how does one respond, uh, given the, given the state that the world is in and that the country is in the country and the world at large, everything is connected for sure. So hopefully adding some cheer for those of you out there who do enjoy South Park and, or some of the humor in it. Yes, things are terrible. (laughs) And then there's also just a lot of silliness out there. So it's important to remember that. Um, I had a pretty awesome weekend. Thanks for asking. I volunteered. There's a conference called the Gender Spectrum Conference that's been happening, I want to say, for 10 years. Uh, I may be incorrect. And it happens in the Bay Area. And it used to happen in Berkeley. Now it happens at, uh, it's hosted at St. Mary's College out in Moraga. And it's really awesome. And it's pretty much like a trans informational conference. And it lasts like three days. 
and this I volunteered. Um, shout out to Bobby Griggs who uh, connected me with them a few years ago, and I volunteered just you know signing people in. And uh, this, and I hadn't been back in a few years. And then this year, I volunteered with uh, with youth, with trans youth, and folks youth who have siblings who are trans. And it was a really awesome experience. And uh, just being around young people who are so, like I guess, open to the world and curious and also just very aware of how things are and um, very like intelligent and in terms of their own identity and the identity of their siblings and very caring uh, really kind of made me feel a lot better about the world. So that was something that was pretty awesome and uh, led a couple workshops, did some storytelling, some improv games. So it's interesting which ones are works. Uh, I do workshops with adults as well, which ones uh, adults and children both kind of get. And it's just cool to allow folks to be creative, people of any age, to be creative and to let their voices be heard and to have them create. I think that's pretty beautiful. So I wanted to start off the show on a positive note like that because there are good things happening. And the, the I guess the idea that, yeah, that what's the world that we're leaving for the kids if there will be a world left, we don't know that uh, that there will be. Um, but it's nice to know that there are folks out there who get it and youth out there who are self-aware. And that makes me happy as someone who kind of didn't really feel comfortable enough or aware enough to, well, maybe I was aware, just uh, didn't feel comfortable enough. Maybe that's the key word to really begin discussing my gender identity uh, in detail until I was a little bit older. It's awesome to meet these kids who knew at a very young age and felt they were able to verbalize it and to have the folks that they're with uh, be able to listen. I think that's really incredible and awesome. So just important that that's happening and a reminder that there are good things happening in the world. Now let's get to the bad things. Just kidding. We've got some good, we've got some positive news stories. Of course, there are some good things happening uh, in the midst of the violence that continues to happen. Systemic violence, of course. But I wanted to start off on a positive note. Sometimes I start the show with uh, positive news stories. Well, this one's not positive, but I clicked on it. So in improv, there's a saying, there's no such thing as mistakes. And that's, you know, you do something or you say something incorrect or you say something silly and then you can play with it for a little bit and then it kind of leads you off into another world. And uh, I believe in that too and other aspects of, of life as well. This idea, oh, you have to be perfect. You have to do things a certain way. And that's not really very fair because we're always misstepping and why not kind of play around with that and explore that a little bit so it's going to start off with a positive news story and i guess this can be positive in that it's exposing the truth so uh here in the bay area there's a mass transit system called bart most folks who are i think even out of the bay area are aware of it and this article comes from SFGate. BART admits halting cell service to stop protests. And that's pretty fucked up. And you can find this on SFGate. And the article was written by uh, Michael Kamenatuan. Yeah. Um, and this was from, this is from a few years ago. This is uh, 2011. And 
I think it's important just to recognize what's what's in place because if this has happened before, it very well may happen again. Uh, Move to disrupt protesters' plans blasted as violation of free speech. And I'll read, I'll read the first. It's a pretty short article, but I think it's important just to recognize how the structures that are in place will work with one another to suppress people. That's not a positive thing. It's just true. Uh, Bart shut off of subterranean cell phone service in its downtown San Francisco stations may have prevented a protest Thursday, but it sparked accusations Friday that the action stifled free speech and smacked of the kind of government intrusion employed by Middle East dictators. All over the world, people are using mobile devices to protest oppressive regimes, and governments are shutting down cell phone towers and the internet to stop them, said Michael Risher, a staff attorney for the ACLU of Northern California. It's outrageous that in San Francisco, BART is doing the same thing. BART officials acknowledged Friday afternoon that they had switched off the transit system's underground cell phone network, which runs from Balboa Park Station through the Transbay Tube from 4 to 7 p.m. Thursday to prevent protesters from coordinating plans to stop trains. A cluster of groups under the No Justice, No BART banner said on websites that they plan to protest the fatal July 3rd shooting of, uh, they say, a a knife-wielding man, Charles Blair Hill, by BART police. Protesters briefly shut down the Civic Center, Powell Street, and 16th Street Mission stations July 11th. Trains ran through the stations without stopping. So again, this is from years ago, and it came up again because uh, it's important to recognize how the systems kind of all, all work together. And now, a positive news story, because there are positive news stories. I promise. I promise there are. And we'll be getting to some more. Uh, We talk a lot about police and how we could live without police on this show. And perhaps I'm also definitely feeling very low energy. I'm sure you can hear it. Uh, I was working last night as a background for a television production, and it went kind of late. And I think that's perhaps part of the reason I'm a little bit lower energy than I'm used to. I've had some, I put some caffeine in my system and hopefully that will elevate my mood a little bit. And, uh, coming up later, we do have a really cool guest. So I'm very much looking forward to, to having him come in and he's somebody I met at the, the gender spectrum conference. And, uh, that is, uh, Cesar Zapeta, who is running for Richmond city council. So very much looking forward to having Cesar come in. And, uh, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. We'll also have some music. I put out a call for some positive music and that will hopefully also lift the mood as I wake up here on this Friday, uh, Friday afternoon. So something cool that's happened is, uh, the they've decided to make uh, tuition uh, like free tuition here in San Francisco for City College, and that's pretty awesome. So I'm going to read a story about that. It's going to take a moment for me to pull it up. Um, so that that's coming up, and in the meantime, I'm going to play some music. I'm going to wake up a little bit, <laughs> and I'll be back very soon. <laughs>
right, and we're back. That was Slater Kenny with one more hour. This article comes from SFist. Soups vote to make city college free. And soups as in Board of Supervisors, not soups like Campbell's soups. Although, who knows what the future holds for inanimate objects taking shape. I'm pretty exhausted, as you can tell. Okay, so this is written by Jay Barman, and this is on uh, SFS, and this came out on July 13th. A proposal uh, floated by Supervisor and State Senatorial Candidate Jane Kim back in April to make tuition at City College of San Francisco, CCSF, which it, uh, uh, which it was up until the early 1980s uh, free passed by a 10 to 1 margin at the Board of Supervisors Tuesday as CARO and four reports. The resolution would eliminate enrollment fees for all city residents, city workers, and those working in the city at least part-time. Fees which in recent decades have climbed to just over $1,100, not including textbooks or other expenses. Additionally, the resolution adds grant grants in aid to students receiving financial aid to help cover textbooks and transportation. Still at issue is how to pay for this, and Kim had originally proposed a mansion tax, adding a 0.25% tax to all property sales over $5 million and a 3% transfer tax on all property sales over $25 million. The board decided to delay voting on that, and as CBS 5 reports, Supervisor Mark Farrell God, he's such a fucking asshole. Supervisor Mark Farrell, we already don't like him, uh, who was the one lone no vote on the tuition resolution, feels the $12.6 million expense of free tuition should be dealt with in the context of the entire city budget. I'm very supportive of having free city college in San Francisco, Farrell said. But the way we are doing it right now, or the way my colleagues are proposing it, is just the wrong approach. Uh. In proposing the original resolution, Kim said, when students have to make the choice between paying rent or paying tuition, buying groceries or buying textbooks, we have to act. Higher education isn't a luxury. It's a fundamental necessity. If we want San Franciscans to be able to to compete in the 21st century workplace, and we have a plan that can fully fund this proposal to help over 20,000 students from all walks of life, of all ages, to pursue their dreams. Free tuition is likely to help boost enrollment at CCSF, which has been a steady, which has seen a steady decline in its student population since its recent accreditation troubles, which began in 2013. Also, the move echoes a campaign promise of Bernie Sanders, recently adopted in a modified version by Hillary Clinton, to make all public universities free to families under a certain income level. So there we have it. Some positive things happening, and I feel that's that's pretty good and important to share. And nice to know that everything is not terrible. Moving along, uh, there's a cool organization called Surge, and it's S U R J showing up for racial justice. And there was a like an intro meeting that happened at Oscar Grant Plaza in Oakland on Wednesday evening. And I encourage a lot of folks to um, kind of show up for this and to take part. And I'll be reading some information when I have it in front of me. I currently don't at the moment, Um, but there's just a lot of ways that folks can show up to lead, lead discussions and share resources. And we'll be getting to that. And there's also some actions coming up soon. So I'll be reading... Uh, information about that. 
a topic that we talk about on the show quite often is police and why are they here? And I think it's important to recognize the history of police in this country because um, I think a lot of folks, uh, and I didn't even fully know this, you know, until recently, uh, just the real history behind police. And I think when you grow up, you're kind of brainwashed, we're all brainwashed to a certain extent, we're told certain things, and or even if we're not told them, we just kind of don't question it. If something's been around for a long time, one might assume that it's always been this way, and that's really, really problematic. So... It's great to have an understanding of why why groups were created and uh, especially groups that are causing trouble and that in this case would be the police force so i'm going to first of all read uh, a very quick list and we've read articles on on the police here before and we've talked about it quite a bit and i think it's also just to kind of get to the the heart of the matter and to to look into the the origins so then we can better understand how they're affecting uh the world today the country today and also to have conversations with people who um, like to defend the systems that are in place and also recognize that not everyone's treated equally by the police which is not a surprise okay so why are there police one the police do not exist to stop individual crime. They exist to protect the property and power of the rich. Two, economic elites created armed police forces in the 1800s to break strikes, disperse protests, capture runaway slaves, and put down slave revolts. Three, using repression to maintain the status quo remains their primary function today. And this is why they say socialists oppose, and I'd say many, many other folks as well, who even who don't identify as socialists, oppose the institution of the police on principle. So let's go through these again. They don't exist to stop individual crime. They exist to protect the property and power of the rich. Economic elites created them. In the 1800s, these armed forces to break strikes, disperse protests, capture runaway slaves, and put down slave revolts, and using repression to maintain the status quo remains their primary function today. And I think for folks who have been at protests, we definitely see that. And uh, it's like, why are, why are they here? Why are they here? So that's a very simple, uh, and clear explanation going into the history of the police force here in the States and uh, I'd imagine also around the world. So I think that's very important to share that. We have to understand it's not just like they've always been around because they haven't. All right, so moving along. Uh, there are also alternatives to living in a world without police. And people say, how do we do that? And some people argue that we need police. And I, um, the more and more people I talk to, the more and more people are of the side of that, no, no, we don't. And again, this is more going towards the systems that are in place. So please don't be butthurt if you know someone who is a, a cop. Uh, this is, uh, let's get rid of the systems that are in place. So... The, these jobs aren't that there are there should be other jobs out there for people not to patrol the streets and harm people okay so 
there's a, a few articles here, and I'm going through them right now to look for ones I think would be the best to share at the moment. And I found there's a lot certainly going through my feed. I have a lot of friends who are activists and people who are just aware of what's happening in the world. And there are also, it's becoming more and more mainstream. So there even was an article in Rolling Stone magazine uh, recently about how we could live in a world without police. So just uh, recognizing how more and more people are kind of waking up to this, I think is a really good thing. So that is something that is positive. And uh, the article in, in Rolling Stone is called Policing is a Dirty Job, But Nobody's Got to Do It. Six Ideas for a cop-free world. And uh, let's read a little bit about this here, and I'll get to some more articles. So uh, it was written by Jose Martin, and I'll scroll down. One, unarmed mediation and intervention teams is one idea. Two, the decriminalization of almost every crime. I agree with that. Three, restorative justice for direct democracy at the community level, and that's a big one. Five, community patrols, uh, which can go either way. Six, uh, mental health care. If everyone had the resources met, uh, imagine I would imagine there'd be a lot less crime. So those are some ideas. And uh, moving along, there's also an article and we're looking to talk to the, the author of this at some point in the future. Hopefully, they'll be able to, to call in. And uh, this um, this comes from, here we go. We're, we're bringing it up here. And one moment. I oftentimes wonder what it would be like if this show hadn't quite evolved as it had. And instead of doing news, I just played music and or just joked about things. I don't know what would happen. I would imagine I might be a little bit more carefree. And, uh, you know, I guess I could always just come in and play music. And I've got a lot of respect for folks who, who choose to do that. It's just... Uh, even if I'm feeling down, I feel the least I can do is read some stories here about what's happening. So this is, comes from Truthout, 10 lessons for creating safety without police. And uh, the authors of this, this came out on July 14th, uh, Tasha Amizkua, Ejeris Dixon, and Che J. Renee Long. And this is for Truthout. And this is an op-ed, and you can find this on our Facebook page if you want to read it in full. Uh, how can we create safety collectively? How can we challenge hate and police violence by using community-based strategies rather than relying on the police? For the past 10 years, the Safe Outside the System SOS Collective, an anti-violence program led by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, two-spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming, LGBT, STG, and C, people of color, POC, in central Brooklyn, New York, specifically Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, and Bushwick neighborhoods, has been working to answer these questions. After a decade of organizing, the three SOS coordinators, founding coordinator Ajaris Dixon from 2005 to 2010, the second coordinator, Che J. Renee Long, 2010 to 2014, and the current coordinator, Tasha Amazkua, from 2014 to the present, co-wrote this piece to share the lessons we've learned over the years. We also asked SOS members from the past 10 years about their reflections 
on our successes, struggles, and our hopes for the future. We write these lessons for all the people seeking to address violence and envision safer communities. One, cultural work is a crucial organizing strategy. From its onset, our members have included activists, organizers, artists, and cultural workers, dancers, musicians, playwrights, actors, singers, poets, performers, artists, healers, etc., and many people who see themselves at the intersections of these identities. However, it took us time to integrate people's passions, fully utilize each other's skills, and create a collective culture and value system that allowed, all, that allowed us all to be seen and heard. We knew that cultural work was necessary to build community, create our vision of safety, and to make and make space for healing. Yet we struggled with the question of what our priorities were and where cultural work fit into these, those priorities. SOS members who identified as artists and cultural workers refused to let organizers deprioritize art and healing and consistently reminded us that cultural work is not a footnote or an addition to make an event more interesting. Instead, these members showed us all the art, all that art and cultural work can allow us to vision, strategize, educate, heal, and organize with our full selves. Organizing that integrates cultural work transforms people's perspectives in a way that is often deeper and longer lasting than organizing alone. After many meetings and challenging conversations, we began to build cultural work into our organizing strategies, events, and community-based curriculum. We created a, a step team to engage and excite new members as an outreach strategy. Our annual bed Pride includes visual artists, performers, healers, and vendors to bring our full communities together. This conversation still continues today and not without tension, but we keep growing and learning new ways to communicate across our perspectives and passions. Two. Organizing for, communi for community safety must include an analysis of gentrification. The Safe Neighborhood campaign began at a time when Bed-Stuy was still mostly a low-income black community. Our campaign relied on small businesses agreeing to become safe spaces that would open their doors to people fleeing from violence and uphold our principles of using transformative justice strategies to address and reduce violence. As the campaign progressed and built relationships with more community-based businesses, the neighborhood also changed in less subtle, more abrupt ways. Soon, the question of gentrification took center stage in our campaign development, as well as in our outreach and base building. Gentrification and increased policing of LGBT, STG, and CPOC disrupted our existing community safety networks, pushing out our safe spaces. We met this strong socioeconomic force with study and research, developing a timeline for the average lifespan of a small business and finding new ways to engage locally owned small businesses. We began to invest in long-standing institutions such as schools and churches and explored ways to engage them in the campaign. This work continues today. As a mixed collective of people born and raised in Bed-Stuy and transplants, we have honest conversations internally about how to support the local community together with our money, energy, and time. Three, our work exists within a legacy and we are just a small part. Over time, we've noticed that safety exists in relationships and wellness exists in culture. In this moment of rapid displacement, we continue to identify LGBT, GNC, POC, cultural workers, and support them in strengthening, deepening, and intermingling roots with LGBT, GNC, POC in our neighborhoods. Four, are we a quote-unquote real collective, a struggle to create a practical and visionary structure? 
The SOS Collective is structured as a collective of intergenerational lesbian, gay, bisexual, two-spirit, trans, and gender non-conforming people of color. Members lead the collective's organizing, political analysis, strategy, and a staff person coordinates the collective, ensuring resources, coordinating logistics, maintaining structure, and supporting members' leadership, development, and political education. There is a hierarchy inherent to the structure as staff is paid and members are not. And while at times we had the resources to temporarily hire members, we still weren't able to fully compensate their labor to, or address the power dynamics between members and staff. Since its founding, SOS staff and members constantly assessed whether decisions were informed, collective, not coercive, and held true to the values of member leadership, transformation, community accountability, and collectivity. We also had conversations where members discussed and defined which roles the staff members should hold and how those roles were in the service of the collective's progress. The power of collective is that there's been no burden on any one person or a few people to have an answer. When we have all contributed prioritizing survivors and most impacted folks, we have learned about and from each other. We have learned to talk about we have learned to talk to each other and we have had the remarkable opportunity to grow, heal and transform together. This way, we built safety and wellness in our communities that was more robust, dynamic and informed than any single one of us could create. 5. Internal accountability must be a foundation for community safety. We believe that we must internally model our own values of addressing violence and harm without relying on the police or disposing of community members, aka transformative justice, in order to achieve our vision in the community. However, this definitely was a challenge and a journey. When SOS started, we were all working with limited resources. The staff was part-time and often volunteering 15 hours a week of unpaid time, and many of the members were volunteering 5 to 10 hours a week of their time. Our community is made up of survivors and they need us to be consistent to maintain trust to ensure that we are that we as that we were as accountable as possible to our own communities we developed agreements around how we would share responsibilities and had rotating members who would check in on our tasks through these ever evolving structures we were able to collectively work towards internal accountability at times, internal accountability has been harder and more painful than just navigating our tasks and commitments. We've had experiences of members who have harmed other members or the collective as a whole. We've had conflicts and disagreements so deep that we permanently lost crucial members. Yet, through having transparent and challenging conversations, We've built some structures for addressing harm internally and keep re revising and adjusting them to ensure that they stay, they stay useful and relevant. We continue to build internal accountability pro uh, processes that center and are led by those most impacted to support the boundary, safety, and wellness needs of all folks involved, including those who have caused harm. We also encourage and support our members in holding community accountability processes outside of nonprofit structures due to the limitations of nonprofits and legal liability for mandated reporting. Six, grappling with cultural capital, fame, and ego. Ego and fame often get in the way of community accountability and transformation, privileging people with more status or capital in the community, allowing folks with more power to avoid accountability. Early on, we knew that building community-wide transformation required humility and that our work was ineffective and, unless, and useless if it was only built by one of us. We actively worked to build safety, trust, and love in our collective so folks felt safe enough to leave their egos at the door, which helped maintain access for everyone. 
One way we disrupted the impact of ego and cultural capital was to encourage and support our most impacted and newer members, black, indigenous, youth, elder, disabled, homeless, femme, fat, trans, gender nonconforming, and long-term resident members to take leadership and visible roles. We also worked to use our collective fame and visibility as a resource. While we started out as a relatively unknown project, over time we began to receive a great deal of praise for our work. We are not in movement work to become QT, POC, queer and trans people of color famous. And we always knew that on the ground in our neighborhoods, QT, POC famous wasn't neighborhood famous. Over time, we learned to use fame as a resource to strategically to strategically to leverage our work and to give momentum to our political vision. At times we did this well. At times our humility or desire to get visibly as a collective, visibility as a collective as opposed to individuals meant that we were left out of critical movement conversations or that other organizations took credit from the work we created. Out of these experiences and our values, we have learned how to use cultural capital in a different way. Those of us who have a lot of cultural capital now work to use, redistribute, disrupt, and ask questions about the use of these resources for the service of the entire collective and community. Seven, base building and relationship building are the cornerstone of all of our work. Base building, outreach, relationship building, whatever you call it, you gotta do it. In the beginning, we spent the majority of our time actively building relationships with LGBT, ST, GNC, people of color in central Brooklyn. We recognized early on that the only way we could ensure that we had the support we needed to build lasting community safety strategies was to have deeply connected networks of SOS members and allies. Base building was a unifying factor for our collective members. It was the skill that everyone learned and worked on together. It was the project that we never deprioritized. It's still the glue that keeps us connected and accountable to our communities. Eight, beyond winning or losing, we have each other. Uh, The thing about doing this kind of anti-violence organizing is that sometimes it was sometimes difficult to identify moments of victory. And we have a caller on the line, so I'm gonna patch in the caller. Hello, you're on Mutiny Radio. Hello? Okay, uh, lost that call, so moving back. Uh, the thing about doing this kind of anti-violence organizing is that it sometimes was sometimes difficult to identify moments of victory. There was often not a picture-perfect moment of the contract being signed or the person in power conceding to the community's demands. What was more prevalent was prevention. On a good day, we prevented a community member from being harassed. On a bad day, we comforted a mother who had lost her gay son to hate violence. We did a lot of celebrating when the good days came, sat in the joy of altering the story, wrote down what conditions and strategies contributed to our victory. Of course, loss was also prevalent. On the bad days, we did a lot of sitting with one another, sometimes in silence, sometimes with music in the background, and let ourselves just feel sad without needing to immediately fix it. And it was okay as long as we were feeling sad together. Nine. Clear, simple language builds trust and community. The collective began at a time when terms like community accountability and transformative justice were newer terms and most people were still figuring out what they meant. We didn't entirely know what they meant, but we knew that violence was happening and that we couldn't rely on cops to intervene. 
We spoke to people in the community with the language we knew would most would be most understandable and relatable, and saved the more complicated terms for the panels. It was important that anyone who was affected by hate violence in the community could explain what we did to others. Over time, as these terms grew in popularity, many people would name our work saying, oh, what you're doing is transformative justice. And that was fine with us as long as we continue to use language that makes sense to the people in the community. And 10, we must show up hard for each other, all of us, including ourselves. We need to build a revolution, a movement that fits all of us. For us, this meant if we were making ourselves unwell so that the community could be well, or if we were sacrificing our personal relationships so that we could nurture community, or if we're not ensuring that our movement spaces were accessible, then we were not building a sustainable movement. In SOS, we worked to celebrate when members needed to take space or assert boundaries. When we celebrated and supported each other practicing sustainability, we were building a liberation we can each survive. In her poem, who said it was simple? Audre Lorde asked, but I who am bound by my mirror as well as my bed, see causes in color as well as sex and sit here wondering which me will survive all these liberations. Lord here pointed directly to the intersection of disability, race, and gender that prevented her from participation in movement spaces. The question of which me will survive reminds us to build movements that are inclusive of folks at the periphery of the margins we already occupy. Over the last 10 years, we have learned the hard way that building community safety is complex. The experience of collectively creating safety has forever changed us. We still believe that our communities can address violence without the police, uh, that th and that LGBT, GNC, POC communities have long histories of doing this work. But we still have so much to learn, skills that need to be trans transferred and supported. Our overall takeaway is that people who work to create community safely need to be willing to grow, change, and sometimes be wrong. Our ability to be flexible enough to grow with the changing conditions of the neighborhood and the needs of our community keeps our work relevant, vibrant, and useful. Our lessons are not unique, but we hope that you will find them useful to create safety within your own communities, that you feel empowered to challenge violence within your community, and that our movements will continue to reduce state control over our bodies. And to learn more about the SOS Collective and their neighborhood-based community safety strategies, you can contact them at sos at alp.org. And that ALP is the Audrey Lord Project. And the piece includes contributions from Eugene Carrington, Tarina Crespo, Danielle Asanapur, Yvonne Fly, Ona Kami, at uh, Guinea, and I apologize for mispronunciation. Uh, uh, Lisa Feliciano, Susanna Hernandez, TK Lambert, India McKnight, Sal Munoz, Joseph Reeves, Noah Richard, MJ Santiago, uh, Daku Utah, and Yalini Dream. And this is again from uh, Truth Out. And you can find this at thetruthout.org. And again, you can uh, contact SOS Collective at SOS at ALP.org. I'll be playing some more music, and we'll be getting some requests in later for some music. And then we'll be back with some more stories, and then our guests at 1 p.m. <laughs>
Wally, that the process that creates this boredom that we see in the world now may very well be a self-perpetuating, unconscious form of brainwashing created by a world totalitarian government based on money, and that all of this is much more dangerous than one thinks. And it's not just a question of individual survival, Wally, but that somebody who's bored is asleep, and somebody who's asleep will not say no. See, I keep meeting these people. I mean, uh, just a few days ago, I met this man whom I greatly admire. He's a Swedish physicist, Gustav Bjornstrand. And he told me that he no longer watches television, he doesn't read newspapers, and he doesn't read magazines. He's completely cut them out of his life because he really does feel that we're living in some kind of Orwellian nightmare now and that everything that you hear now contributes to turning you into a robot. And when I was at Findhorn, I met this extraordinary English tree expert who had devoted his life to saving trees. He just got back from Washington, lobbying to save the redwoods. He's 84 years old. He always travels with a backpack because he never knows where he's going to be tomorrow. And when I met him at Findhorn, he said to me, where are you from? And I said, New York. He said, ah, New York. Yes, that's a very interesting place. Do you know a lot of New Yorkers who keep talking about the fact that they want to leave but never do? And I said, oh, yes. And he said, why do you think they don't leave? I gave him different banal theories. He said, oh, I don't think it's that way at all. He said, I think that New York is the new model for the new concentration camp, where the camp has been built by the inmates themselves, and the inmates are the guards, and they have this pride in this thing they've built. They've built their own prison, and so they exist in a state of schizophrenia, where they are both guards and prisoners, and as a result, they no longer have, having been lobotomized, the capacity to leave the prison they've made or to even see it as a prison. And then he went into his pocket and he took out a seed for a tree and he said, this is a pine tree. He put it in my hand and he said, escape before it's too late. See, actually for two or three years now, Chiquita and I have had this very unpleasant feeling that we really should get out. That we really should feel like Jews in Germany in the late 30s. Get out of here. Of course, the problem is where to go because it seems quite obvious that the whole world is going in the same direction. See, I think it's quite possible that the 1960s represented the last burst of the human being before he was extinguished. And that this is the beginning of the rest of the future now. And that from now on, there'll simply be all these robots walking around, feeling nothing, thinking nothing. And there'll be nobody left almost to remind them that there once was a species called a human being with feelings and thoughts. And that history and memory are right now being erased. And soon, nobody will really remember that life existed on the planet. And welcome back to the Weekly Review. That was a clip from My Dinner with Andre. Uh, it's been going, making rounds around the internet as from 1981. And clearly, that's happened. So earlier in the show, I mentioned Surge, which is showing up for racial justice. I want to read a little bit about this organization because folks really need to get involved. Uh, Surge is a national, and this is S-U-R-J, Surge is a national network of groups and individuals organizing white people for racial justice. Through community organizing, mobilizing, and education, Surge moves white people to act as part of a multiracial majority for justice with passion and accountability. And I have a flyer here for the San Francisco Committee of Surge Bay Area, although they are located across the country, and you can check them out if you type in uh, Surge. Uh, showing up for racial justice 
org, and there they have a map of different cities and different states and if you don't see one in your the place you're from you can start your own so if you're in here in san francisco you can join them us join us the second monday of every month uh from 6 30 to 8 30 p.m in the back room of alley cat books and that's at 30 36 24th street again that's the second monday of every month from 6 30 to 8 30 p.m the back room of alley cat books at 60 sorry at 30 36 24th street you can find uh, sf surge on facebook facebook.com slash S-F-S-U-R-J. You can email them. Email us, I should say. Us, 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 right? Us. All right. Email us. SF Committee Surge, and that's S-F-C-O-M-M-I-T-T-E-E-S-U-R-J at gmail.com. And again, for Nationwide Surge, uh, showing up for racialjustice.org. And I'm going to read a few events that are coming up. Uh, upcoming Solidarity Action Steps for Racial Justice here. Uh, in the Bay Area, uh, July 11th to the 15th, that's this week, Renters Rise Up, 30K in Five Days Challenge. You can find them at uh, us at uh, cjjc.org. Uh, next, uh, Sunday, July 17th, from 9.30 a.m. to 6.30 p.m., Stop Urban Shield, Canvas in Pleasanton. You can email us at gmail.com to attend. Uh, next Tuesday, July 19th at 5 p.m., there is the Oakland City Council meeting to support hashtag renters upgrade uh, by Protect Rent Oakland Renters. Sunday, July 31st from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., shout out their names, Town Hall to Take Action Against State Gendered Violence in California. The location is the East Side Arts Alliance, 2277 International Boulevard in Oakland. And you can sign up for Surge National and Surge Bay Area mailing lists. Sign up, uh, sign the Movement for Black Lives pledge at action.movementforblacklives.org. And again, you can also find uh, information about Surge on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash weekly rev. Oh, goodness. So... Um, I have a friend who has stopped by who I haven't seen in a while. It's uh, TJ Mannix. TJ, come in. Have a seat. Good to see you. Um, yeah, we're joined here by uh, TJ. Uh, TJ is a friend of mine I met in New York many years ago. TJ is an actor and a teacher and a wonderful human being. So thanks for coming in, TJ. What a hey. nice surprise. Surprise. Yeah. And you're in town for the uh, improv. There's yeah, a the mus- West Coast Musical Improv Festival they're doing over at uh, Unscripted Theater over by Union Square. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Very Hi. cool. Hi. What so a- good to see you. Yeah, it's good to see you, too. I just, I just got a text saying... Turn on your radio, and I said I don't have a radio, but but told me where you would be, so I just hopped in a hopped in a cab and came here. Oh, wonderful! It's nice to see you. What are we talking about? Um, we're talking about how to how to show up for racial justice. Yes. So there's an organization called Surge. Um, it stands for Showing Up for Racial Justice, and it encourages white people to act as part of multiracial majority uh, with uh, justice. Uh, for justice with passion and accountability. Awesome. So they had a, I'll, here's the flyer here, and they have, uh, they have committees like all across the country. And there was a meeting in Oakland uh, earlier this week, and hundreds of people showed up, and we did fundraising, and we talked about sharing wealth and resources and information, and how it's up to us to talk to folks to um, really get the, the conversations out there to change what's 
what's been happening here in this country for a very, very, very long time. Oh yeah, I was in Times Square recently. When, oh uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, when we uh, when well when a Black Lives Matter rally uh, was there and took over Times Square, but took over like not the touristy part of Times Square, but Forty Second yeah. Street, like where there's actually traffic, and um, and then the police came in from all sides, and I was there when everybody just sat down and and everybody kind of linked arms and. Um, yeah, it's hard to talk about this without getting without getting pissed off about and really like harshly judging straight white dudes. Oh, that's pretty much most of what I do on this show. Yeah, it's because it's. I mean, it's just so obvious. It's like what happens when when the bully loses their power. Yeah. And suddenly all the bullied are are like, no, we're not afraid of you anymore. And they're like, you have to be afraid of me. What's wrong with you? I'm the victim. Yeah. And there's just so many white dudes being the victim right now, and it's just so annoying. It's it's so. It's like the whole election's about that. Yeah. It's about white dudes losing their power, and and uh, it's. It's incredible that they everybody. It's so obvious that that's what's happening, but they're like, "No, this is something new. This is an outrage." I'm like, "Yeah, welcome to the club." Yeah, outrage. this is what folks live yeah. with every day, and it's. I mean, it's important to to talk about it, and then it's. Uh, yeah, I'm curious to hear what your what your feelings were about the the protest in New York and experiences there. I'm just happy that it happened, and it was. You know, it's been interesting to me because, um, as a as a white dude, um, it's just interesting to like kind of the feeling of helplessness as as a white dude who I could you know I could show up and pretend at a Trump rally and fit in. Yeah, I mean it would kill my soul, but but um, but just knowing like how do you how do you make it clear that you're an ally? How do you make it clear that, and and also, how do you make it clear that you're an ally without making it just something to make you feel better? You know, because being an ally, like, are you only saying that you're an ally just to make yourself out to be the hero of the situation? You know, and it's it's hard to... Uh, it's hard when you really want to do something, but you, you also know that you can't make it about you because it's not, it's not about you. No, Yeah. no. And it's a really, it's a really fine balance when you really want to do something, but making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons, but also how do you, how do you do that? And, uh, not, not make it about you, not marginalize someone else. How do you show up and support, but not, not take the mic right exactly because because it's just a sense it's a total like total white privilege just to think that anybody wants to hear what you have to say yes but it's a hard balance when you're passionate about it and you really want to do something but you just want to make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and that you give everybody their space absolutely i think it's also just a lot of folks have been raised to take up space and so then how does one like unlearn those oppressive behaviors Mm. And just to be willing to like, uh, to, I guess, make mistakes. And when someone calls you out on something to listen and to, to take that into account and uh, to change behavior accordingly. Just, I wonder anyone else, anyone out there who has recently accused a guy of mansplaining and watched, watched the 
the frustrated fury of and I'm like well that's what you did yeah I know you hate the word because because white guys were brought up and most men were brought up with a sense of entitlement and a sense of power and when somebody dares to not acknowledge your privilege it's amazing to watch people just crumble or turn violent because yeah. they just can't function because they've never had to deal with that before yeah yeah it's yeah I, and it's what what has to happen though yeah so i mean i look forward to more of that it's, it reminds me of the conversation that's been going around in the comedy i've been kind of stepping away for, from comedy for a while just because i can't deal with a lot of the it's hard being that funny oh yeah i'm hilarious with my jokes about despising law enforcement and violence it's a real you know people just can't stop laughing about it yeah don't, um don't let roman get away with that roman's actually very funny yeah I, I can be um it's just that when people say oh it's, it's things are too pc now and the and the counter argument is that no like you, you all have always been really offensive and like with the jokes that are misogynist and homophobic and racist and classist yeah. now people are just finally beginning to feel comfortable to speak out about it yeah yeah so uh, PC culture I'm like because it, it, it reminds me of uh, I'm old enough to know what happened when it's it, it's what happened with disco because disco was empowering to gay men and people of color yeah and all of a sudden white dudes from all over the country were taking disco records and crashing them oh, yeah. and running them over with steamrollers yeah and and uh, and, uh, and I remember in like middle school, elementary school, people would like, it was a thing that people, little kids would make fun of each other if they listened to the disco station, Mm. you know, and, and it's so clear looking back on it, like that was, that was freedom and empowerment and, and, and you were finally seeing people from those communities Yeah, and the backlash was so angry and violent and homophobic and and the whole disco sucks movement was just it was it was white dudes being pissed off because somebody was somebody was feeling powerful and it wasn't them wow and it's amazing to to just see it happen again and how ma- how many ways that they can that they can turn it around to make themselves the victim yes you know hello war on religion come on yeah yeah, yeah. I, I go to meetings where I plan on my attacks on religion. Right. Organized religion can be an amazing, supportive, beautiful thing, except when it's not. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting to see how people people are reacting to when they're when they're questioned and they get very very defensive about it. So that's interesting about disco, though. I I was born in in 1980, so I kind oh, of oh, that's adorable. Came, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I didn't stand a chance that I mean, I was a kid in the 1980s, so there was a lot of brainwashing happening. So it was like, I was there for all the Reagan years. And yep. as like an, as an adult now, I look back and I recognize what was happening. You but were as probably a, conceived to disco. Oh no. Ugh. Hey, I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. Did you not want to talk about your parents having sex? No idea. 
<laughs> I wasn't planning on that today, but I guess oh, I'm sorry. I, I should yes and. I didn't get the everything. rundown. I literally walked in off the street. That was was pretty cool. It was a really lovely surprise. <laughs> yeah, and it is it is nice to like bring some levity because I I do come in here and read stories, you know, news stories, and it gets heavy. And I feel like that's the very least I can do is to ha if I have these resources to come in and and share what's happening in the world. And so it is nice to find humor in in the world. <laughs> I might I might tell I need to tell New York City that you're doing this right now. Oh, okay. Hi New York City. I miss you. <laughs> <laughs> oh good the sound picked up on the Oh wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, I do miss I do miss New York. And it's I mean I feel like I am able to keep track of what's happening just based on social media and I see protests and events that are happening. So I feel I definitely feel connected more so than I would if I were not connected online and it's it's awesome just to see the parallels too of like what's the events that are happening here and the protests that are happening here so like folks shut down like the the, the freeway last thursday in in oakland which is very cool so there was like over a thousand people on the freeway it's great so and there's also just been in atlanta and also in minneapolis i've uh, one thing that folks did at the meeting earlier this week was just to raise bail money for folks like in like, over 40 people were like arrested um I th wednesday morning in in minneapolis that's, or, like, that's a there. great thing for people to do i hadn't even thought about that about raising bail money yes so many people you know people that are arrested and even if they're arrested falsely they're arrested for no reason yeah still to be able to to pay the bail for people that are actually out there on the front lines doing the work and putting themselves in harm's way to try yes. to make a difference. Cause there's some people that really care, but are like nine to fiving it. Yes. Yeah. Not me. I, I mean, well, I care. I'm just not nine to fiving it, but, um, yeah. Wait, is it, is it at mutiny radio? Um, I believe, I think maybe mutiny radio SF is our, are you talking about Twitter wise? Yeah, uh, I believe it's. I'm not huge on Twitter. Mutiny, it's Mutiny Radio SF. Uh, yeah. Got it. Yeah, all right. Yeah, and we'll be having someone. If you are you able to stick around for a bit? Yeah. Wonderful. Ooh, is somebody coming in? Oh, uh, we've uh, this. I was at this uh, gender spectrum conference, which was I was volunteering with like uh, trans youth, which was really cool. Yeah. And so. Because you used to be one. I used to. Well, <laughs> I used to be one back in back in the day. Because now you're freaking old. Yeah. Now I'm just ready to retire. <laughs> Where's my 401k? Just kidding. I have never had a 401k. I can't imagine myself. I'm so proud of you no. for knowing those, knowing that word. I do. So I met this awesome guy who's calling in right now named Cesar, and he is running for Richmond City Council, and he's oh, cool. an openly gay uh, person out in the world. So we're going to speak to him. I don't know where Richmond is. Oh, Richmond's in the East Bay, and it's where Great. I grew up. Awesome. Yeah. Hello. Hey, Caesar! thank you for so much for calling in. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Great. So uh, we're, uh, we're on the air right now, and I'm joined with my uh, friend TJ. So if you'd like to just uh, introduce yourself to the listeners. Hey, TJ. Uh, my name is Caesar. Caesar Zepeda. Caesar Zepeda. Um, I am president of the first LGBT organization in the city of Richmond, which is in the Bay Area near San Francisco. And I am also running for city council. And I am the first openly gay man uh, to run for city council. And if elected in November, I'll be the first openly gay man elected to city council in the city of Richmond. 
We have our first openly lesbian, uh, her name is Ivanka Beckles. She's been in city council since 2012. So I'm looking to uh, join her there as another uh, person of color in the Richmond city council. Cool. So, um, what got you uh, interested uh, in deciding to run? I am also very involved with my community in other ways other than just the LGBT community. I'm the president of the Neighborhood Council, where I live, the Hilltop District Neighborhood Council. And I've been able to do a lot of things up there in my, in my district. And the community asked me to step up. And they were asking me to step a little by little, I did that. Maybe it is the right thing, and I can I can create change. And also, in, in 2014, uh, we were having some homophobia coming out towards Devonka when she was running for re-election, and there really wasn't a big sense of community. A handful of people came out in support of her, actually more than a handful. Uh, but it just wasn't, I didn't really feel like a, a good group of, of community, LGBT community coming out to help her. And from there I spoke with her and I said, hey, don't we have a, some kind of LGBT group or organization or something going on in the city that we can come together as one community? Mm-hmm. And she said, no. And I said, well, I will. let's start something. And that was two years ago. Okay, cool. So, a combination of that, combination of me getting involved in my district, to just step up a little bit more and be, be able to help out more. Great. So, just having a little bit of trouble hearing you, so if you're able to speak up a little bit, that would help. Oh, sorry. Awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. So, what are, so but for folks who are in Richmond and in East Bay, what can they do to support your campaign? Huh, if they would like to get involved, they can go to my website and sign up to become a volunteer. Uh, they can put up lawn signs or window signs if they don't have a lawn. Uh, they can come out and help walk precincts, make phone calls, get the word out. Uh, my website is uh, Cesar Cepeda, which is C-E-S-A-R-Z-E-P-E-D-A.com. Mm-hmm. They could also find me on Will Facebook you say it under again the same name. For people that just ran to get a pen. Will you say the name of the website again for people that just ran to get a pen? Uh, yes. So the website again is C-E-S-A-R-Z-E-P-E-D-A dot com. So Cesar Cepeda dot com. And that's Cepeda with a Z, not a C. Cool. Thank you. So, um, do you have like mentors or folks who have uh, helped you out along the way or, or inspired you? Uh, yes. Mentors and, and people that have inspired me all along the way. Uh, one of the, the, the most recent ones, his name is Gabe Quinto, Gabriel mm-hmm. Quinto. He is the first openly gay man elected to city council in the city of El Cerrito. Oh yeah. Ooh. I went to high school in El Cerrito. And, oh yeah. So yeah. He's, your uh he's your council member there now very cool so he he ran in the last election and won and he became the first openly gay man and he's been my mentor through this process and 
you know, all throughout since I was growing up. I mean, other people that I've looked up to, Harvey Milk, MLK, um, I mean, there's just, the list is just very long. I, I, I'm very big on LGBT history. Yeah. And I was able to learn a lot about our, our leaders that came before me mm-hmm. and, you know, anyone else now. You know, we all walk in very, on, on other people's shoulders and all their hard work. Yes. And we're just moving our our community forward still. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure you will also uh, inspire many other folks to to come out and to, to do this work. Uh, hopefully. You know, then if, if we inspire, if I'm able to inspire, if I'm able to help someone out. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the coming out process is very difficult. Sometimes coming out and you're also a person of color. Mm-hmm. Is even more difficult. Yes. I'm Latino, and you know, with my parents, or especially my father, uh, was very homophobic and closed-minded, very macho. So it was very difficult. And I know that in the Black community, the Latino community, and other uh, minority communities, you know, coming out is just a huge no, and it's a huge slap in the face. I uh, did an interview on the TV show 10%, and a friend of mine came up to me, and she was telling me, she's like, I have cousins that are gay, and I know they're gay. They bring their roommates over, and I know they're not their roommates. I know they're they're in a relationship, but they just don't come out. Yeah. And it's very difficult for them to to come out, and she's like, I'm pretty sure they know that I'm very open and that I would accept them, but they just, they're, they're afraid. Mm-hmm. Even in, in the Bay Area in 2016, people are still afraid to come out and be themselves because of, of what other people might think of them or say of them. And we have to get to a place where we no longer have to come out. If you see someone there that's different than you, you just learn to accept them. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing else that we can do yeah. Somebody looks different. Don't go out and judge. Don't try to put them in a box. Yeah. The LGBT community, we we're so diverse within our community. You know, the all the, the alphabet as some call it. Mm-hmm. You know, don't try to go in there and, and put people into one letter. Yes. And then you also get the knowledge of learning about gender and sex. Mm-hmm. Two different things. Sexual orientation, gender, sex. It's very complex. And if you can't understand how it works, then just aim at respecting the person and their individuality. Yes, yeah. It's interesting how often sometimes people talk about the behavior, like as a like that the or like call it like a lifestyle choice, when it's not really a, a a choice. It's really just people being out, living their lives, and the way that people scrutinize each other. I feel it's just very just like the trying to understand their, their line of thinking uh it feels very it's just difficult to, to to get to that place where someone could be judging someone else just based on them being happy or them being who they are their authentic selves cesar i think you make yeah, a great point that- also you think you make a great point about um about about looking out for 
everyone else in the community when you talk about the alphabet, because I, I think sometimes we, it's like when you're the kid that's picked on, you look for the kid that's weaker than you are so that you're not on the bottom. So you look for that other person that could possibly be more misunderstood or more picked on than you are. And whether that is someone who is uh, gay or lesbian, not necessarily being understanding of someone who identifies as bisexual or as trans, or um, I'm figuring out what pronoun to use with different people. And, and it, I, at my very advanced age, I can look at it and say, I, I can look at it laughingly and I need to be understanding of that, that, that if someone uses the pronoun they, it might not make sense to me, but I need to respect that everybody in our community is, needs, that same, needs that same understanding that somebody once gave you to help you get through. And I, it's, I see you doing that in the way that you're talking about the community. Thank you. Yeah, and, and you bring up the, the right word, understanding, right? It's, if you look around, and if somebody else's life, whether they have a different pronoun than you believe they should have, whether they are loving a person that you believe shouldn't be loved or whatever it may be, it's respect and it's understanding. And if that person is not hurting you in any way, I don't think it should matter too much or anything at all what that other person does to, to make themselves happy. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we're all looking for happiness. Yes. And we all find happiness in different ways. And it just has to get to the point where just accept. Don't question, just accept. Yeah. If you see somebody smile, don't ask them, oh, why are you smiling? Are you smiling because you're a boy or are you smiling because you're a girl? Are you smiling because <laughs> right, you're right. straight or are you smiling because you're gay? You know, it's, you're smiling. And with so many things going on in the world today, it is very difficult to smile sometimes. Yeah. And if someone's able to go through life and still have a smile at the end of the day, let's praise it. Let's help it out. Yeah. There's some young person that is always going to need some help trying to figure themselves out. <clears throat> and we have to stop questioning that person and help that person just be happy. Our lives are short, and yeah. some are shorter than others. If we always question everything, we're, we're living our life for the wrong reason. And I, it, you know, I say this, having already come out, and I've been out for many years. I came out in 2001, so it's a lot easier, and I know that it's a lot easier said than done. You know, in 2001, when I was coming out, or even before then, it was very difficult to accept myself. It was very difficult to understand me. So that's why I go out and I tell people to try to understand others, yeah. because us trying to come out in whatever part of the alphabet we're in, we're having a difficult time accepting ourselves. Yeah. And it's not a choice. You know, yeah. I never woke up on September 15, 2001 and said, today is the day that I'm going to lose my family. And I'm going to choose that. Yeah. Now, that wasn't a choice. And I'm sure most people that come out never choose to go through some 
type of darkness sometimes for some of us when we're coming out. Not everyone. Some people are getting a family that's more understanding at times. But can it's I not ask, the same for everyone. Can I ask about the date? Because it was four days after 9-11. Was, it was. Because you, you talk about the Bad date. timing all around. And I'm, oh, yeah. I'm not the best for timing sometimes. Uh, and the reason it happened then is because of September 11, that tragic moment or event that happened, I was in my room. I was living at home still. And I was in my room, and my father comes in, and he says, I want you to quit your jobs. And that day I wasn't working because everything's closed that day. You know, people are still mourning. Right. And he says, I want you to quit your jobs. And he would, they would always tell me that. And I used to be an associate producer for a public affairs show on KQED and NPR and some other shows. And he thought that that was making me gay, or that uh, could potentially uh. be making me gay. Uh, one time I did a show, actually I did two shows about coming out. And it wasn't about me coming out. It was just in general. And it was during Pride. And it just happened to be that I was questioning. So I was using that as like a learning experience. Oh, yeah. To figure myself out through that. Yeah. And he found some books about being gay in my backpack. And I was like, uh, I also have books about witches because I've done shows about witches. Mm. You're not asking me if I'm a witch. You know, why are you asking me if I'm gay? So you know, I said, you know, why are you so focused on that? And he says, well, I, I don't want you to be gay. And I said, okay, what if I was? And he said, well, you will have to leave. And I said, I guess I'll be leaving. And he said, you have two hours to leave. And I said, it's okay, I'm oh. already happy. Oh. Because I can feel it. I was able to feel that this day was coming oh. much sooner than I thought it was going to come. And I, I was a pack rat, and I used to, everything put under my bed. If somebody gave me a leaf, I would store it under my bed, you know, as a memory. I used to have a lot of pictures, and I started throwing everything away prior to that day, because I knew that if I had to leave, I wasn't able to take everything. So I packed this little black bag, and I had it next to the door. It had money, and it had contacts of people that I can reach out to should this day ever happen. Hmm. And wow. that day happened, and my bag was there. Have you been and, back in touch uh, so with your was, father at all since you then? Know, bad timing after September 11, but it hasn't happened, and it made me a much stronger person now. Back then, I was not. I went through a very dark moments and even thought about committing suicide. And events led to me not doing it, and I am here today. Wow. Wow. When we're, when we're happy, you are, and you're, even your, your city's going to be better off because of it. Yeah. I, I, thank you. Thank, I, you I, thank you for sharing your story, though. Thank you for sharing your story, because there are, there's such power in storytelling, and there's such power in, you know, whether you come from a religious background and you call it testifying, or whether it's storytelling, whether it's... Because no matter where we are with this whole internet age and, and, and with electronics and social media, uh, the, 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 the gay community or the alphabet community is, is one that it's a tribe 
Yeah. You know, and it's growing up around, around the campfire and learning from your elders and learning from those that tell their stories. And it, the fact that you're on here right now telling your story, you know, if that reaches one person, that's amazing. And, you know, even, even your, your political mentor, the fact that, that he's there still while he's in a position where he can make a big difference politically, the fact that he's still looking out and mentoring other people is just something that's such a crucial part about our community. Because otherwise, you, you know, it's hard to find that. You don't grow up with it. And when you make a personal contact that says, hey, you're worth it, and you're a good person, and I care about you, and I'm, I'm there to help you out, that's amazing. And, and you bring up a good point, too, that the history and, and speaking with our, our elders, hmm. I don't think we do that enough in the, in, in yes. the alphabet community. Yeah. You know, we, we, a lot of us forget history. And I'm, I love LGBT history. I read books all the time, and I tell people about, you know, I quiz people on LGBT history. And I noticed that not a lot of people know it. And it's, it's sad because yeah. we start taking things for granted. Yes. It wasn't that long ago, it was in the 90s, that being homosexual was removed from the book of medicine as being an illness. Yeah. So... And being transgender is still people, listed as, a, as an illness. Yeah. You know, we, we just can't forget that it wasn't that long ago. We have to keep fighting. And, but we have to remember the past so that we know where we're going with the future. And also, usually we talk more about gay men, right? That's usually when you, you think of someone in the alphabet community, you think of a gay man. But we have to realize that our community is much more than a gay and a man. And the spectrum is so broad. Yep. And I with the Richmond Rainbow Pride which is the organization in Richmond we had our second Pride event this year at our first Pride event I made it a point and it was around and it was right before the whole bathroom controversy around the country was going on and I let my, my board know I said hey we need to put up signs that make these restrooms gender neutral yeah and they were looking at me like uh, these are small steps, small steps, right? Because I, when I went in, I, we created this. I was like, I want to put a pride flag at every pole in the city. Yeah. They're like, small steps. These are city is not ready. We're not ready. You know, we're not ready. That was what I heard is we're not ready. Slow mm. down. We're not ready. Slow down. And uh, okay. So we didn't put a pride flag in every pole, but that was the putting the bathroom signs was a big deal for me. Yeah. And I said, we have to put those signs up. And then even within our own board, who's all LGBT, they said, one of them said, well, what bathroom are the girls going to use? Uh. And I looked at them and said, that's the whole purpose. We have to teach each other. The whole purpose of gender neutral is you don't have to choose which one to go to. Yeah. You just go to the one that's vacant. Yes. You got to pee, you go pee. Yep. And then someone's already been there, you go to the other one. Yep. Yeah. And you wait in line, they're both full. But you don't have to make a choice. You just have to go pee. Yeah. And anybody, and who, anybody out there who's in Richmond should realize, like, you're obviously, you're, 
you're an, you're an advocate for everybody. You're looking out for people who are underserved. And the fact that you're coming in there and, and able to have the foresight to make a change like that is is fantastic because you're you obviously I don't know you personally but I know that you're already looking out for people who don't have protection who don't have simple necessities that you need to just live with with dignity well thank you for that and I can't take all the credit you know I learned from friends you know I, I wasn't I didn't come out knowing everything, and it took a friend of mine to come out as trans and to teach me and to show me for me to learn. And what I am trying to do is to pass that baton, because in high school, in elementary school, in college, most of us are not taught the gender spectrum. Yeah. Oh, you know, God, They're not no. taught about sexuality and sensuality and all these other things. So we have to learn it with our friends. We have to learn it by reading our own books. We have to learn it by going out there. And this person is the one that shaped my mind and opened up my mind to realize there's a lot more out there. And if I just focus it on one or two letters of that alphabet, then there's no way that we're really picking up our community. Our community has never been picked up by just one. Hmm. It's been by many. And usually it's been by the many that have been unwanted. Yep. Because if we bring it back to Stonewall, if we bring yeah. it here locally in San Francisco to Stonewall Cafeteria, I'm sorry, to Copland Cafeteria, you know, it wasn't always the gay man in the front. It was a trans woman of color. It was, yes. And they, we have somehow remove that from our conversation and our history yes or just i mean it's part of our history but we remove it from the conversation yes it's oh the gay man stands up and saves the day yep but you forget about the trans community and the drag queens that were out there if we have a list of outcasts you know the the trans community and the drag queens are at the very bottom yeah because that's where they've always been, and that's how people treat that type, that group. Yeah. Even though they've been at the very top of leading our community forward. Yes. Well, has been the the most marginalized, who have been the ones who have spoken out the most, because they, yeah. you know, the ones that have the most at stake. Yeah, and we just can't forget every letter and the alphabet and every person we're all struggling with something yes yes yeah i was i was very grateful to meet you at the at the gender spectrum conference and uh like i came out as trans i guess in 2008 and the first few people i met who were openly trans like really opened my eyes because up until then like i came out as gay or bi like in 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 high school and that was difficult in itself and then when i came out as trans i really it really helped to actually have people who had been through it themselves and who were able to educate me because I wasn't able to find that education elsewhere, like through the media or, or anywhere else. It really was through word of mouth. Yeah. Gender Spectrum, that that, that uh, group uh, this past weekend, when I was volunteering and walking down the, the hallways and listening to the parents just side, having side conversations and the kids having side conversations, was so inspiring mm -hmm. 
the Karens were, uh, they were talking to each other about, oh, my son or my daughter uh, is doing this, is doing this, and they're, they're referring to the, the pronoun that their son or daughter elected to have, or, or, or just said, you know, this is, this is who I am, this is the, the pronoun that you were to call me, not the pronoun that you thought I was when I was first born. You know, they're talking about how can I, there was one conversation, this, this woman said, oh, she doesn't have a lot of friends because people don't understand her. Mm-hmm. So we're here to see how she can make more friends and how I can help her. Yeah. And, you know, and, and a parent being out there and trying to help their child be happy, Yeah. I think that's the ultimate goal of every parent. Yes. And just walking around and hearing them just saying it out loud, to fill me with joy. Yes. Like yes. wow, this is a, we're changing our world, even if it's slowly, and it's great. Yeah. Yeah. One person, one voice can make such a huge difference. I, I as a as a gay white man, uh, you know, I'm still learning something new every every day about things I take for granted. You know, yeah, I fought my own fight, but there are so many people that had a heavier burden than I did. And it's taken a lot for me to realize, oh, okay, you know, there's a there's a very sarcastic statement called get off the cross, we need the wood. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think that there's a thing of people, you know, there it, it's it can get really comfortable holding on to your victim status. And occasionally you have to look behind you and realize there's a whole lot of people who could use a hand up and yes. that you're a lot better off than they are and that you don't just stand there and say, oh, well, I'm fine, so let's just move on. You know, and they don't teach about gay history because Pride Month happens during summer vacation. Yeah. It's not the only reason. Yeah. Although California just passed uh, legislation that they are going to include LGBT curriculum wow. in the schools. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. When are they going to do it? <laughs> uh, soon, I hope. <laughs> Imagine if they didn't have to have a separate month. Yeah. Well, you know, we also have LGBT History Month in October. Oh, yeah. We okay. celebrate Pride in June and LGBT History Month in October. Not everybody celebrates it, but, you know, it's out there. Yeah. It's on the books. And, you know, we, we create our history and we have to just keep sharing it. Yeah. You know, with every person we speak with. Yeah. Uh, when, when I was having, when we were having our, our second Pride event in Richmond, I was uh, very lucky to be able to borrow some of the pride flags, some of the historic pride flags from San Francisco Pride. Mm. And I get out on the stage, we were trying to kill some time, and I know that we're also involved with that project to be able to sell those flags to make money to get new ones, because they're very expensive. So I went up on stage and I was uh, doing trivia. And I said, how many colors were in the original flag? And nobody's looking around like, oh, Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was like, guess. And people were like, seven, no, six. I'm like, that's what we have now. No. You know, and, and if, if at every opportunity we get, we teach someone one thing about our history, that person will then go and share it. Yes. This one person that, because uh, I was auctioning off one of the flags, this one person, when I was giving her the flag, she said, 
I'm going to this party for pride. I'm going to tell everybody how I got the flag, and I'm going to tell them how many colors the original flag has. It's a perfect. Yeah. You know, don't just take it for granted about who you are and the rights that you have. Yes. We're walking on the footsteps of others who have come before us, who have died, yes. who have, you know, sweat and tears to get us to where we are today. Please don't forget it. Yes. You know, the, the, the colors were very significant. Yes. And the reason the two colors got removed is... Uh, at the uh, time, uh, we weren't able to have the, the hot pink. And even someone, I asked him what colors were removed, and somebody said pink. And I mm. said, close. What shade? <laughs> and the reason hot pink is important to notice is because at the time, it wasn't massively reproduced. Yeah. Huh. So yeah. I just saw a documentary about able, this. Yeah. And I just say pink. Right? Pink was we could probably found it, but hot pink wasn't available. Yeah. And that's the reason why it got removed. And it's it's a layer onto why we now have six colors in our pride flag. Huh. So being able to understand how we got there. I remember when we were fighting Prop Eight and Doma. And I remember marching and it was a handful of people marching down Market Street to City Hall. And this is before it became a thing to march against Prop 8 in Doma. So I'm marching down the street, and again, there's maybe 30 people marching down the street. And I'm trying to get other friends, and they're like, um, we'll go to, go to the bar. And that moment, I was like, wait a minute. You're going to go to the bar to enjoy a right that someone fought for and died mm-hmm. for. And what we're doing now is trying to make sure that you keep that right to go to the bar tomorrow. Mm. Because if they start with Prop 8 today, what's going to stop them from keeping this forward? Yes. You have to come out and fight for your rights. Don't take them for granted. And at that moment, he was like, oh, I didn't know that. Like, yeah, in the 70s and the 80s, you would have gotten beat up for trying to go to that bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right now you can go outside and stand in line and be all gay. Yeah. But before you couldn't. Yeah. I think something else that's. Oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, I think something else that's missing from the younger generations is not having lived through the eighties and we having lost so many people who in that generation would have been teachers and activists and leaders and to not like there's like a missing generation yep. in the for the queer community and i think a lot of youth are, are missing that and even folks in my generation are missing having folks who would have kind of led the way and maybe prevented some of these homophobic attacks from happening it's like it's like a war you go to some place like sarajevo where everybody that was of like military conscription age was just killed you know and it to, to see an entire generation gone people that people that you know i'm in my 40s and people that could be my mentor mm-hmm. that just aren't there yeah you know and you're left kind of floundering and that's why it's so god it's just so important and even if you don't think you have anything to say and don't have anything to add to just be a mentor to somebody just to be there as a sounding board or force them to hear your stories even like you know roman doesn't want to hear me talk about it but that's not true yeah um, <laughs> but to I share your stories, to share your stories, because 
you know, even people don't talk about Stonewall because we assume that all gay people know everything about Stonewall. But, you know, I had a conversation in New York with some people during Pride about Stonewall and some people had no idea what I was talking about. Wow. And I, I just assumed that they would. And so we don't necessarily share the information, but we have to keep talking and we have to keep speaking out and we have to keep being there just so that, and we have to keep being visible so that people know, oh, I do know someone. They know the fact that the Republican Party is not putting anything gay positive in their, in their what do you call it, their panel, the planks, the, the platform. platform. I knew, I was getting there <laughs> Thanks, piece by piece. Thanks, bro. Um, uh, yeah, because they just because they probably do, but they just don't. Nobody wants to come out to them because it might be uncomfortable. Yeah, that is perfectly you said. We have to keep that conversation. Whether you share a story or anything, talk to everyone. I I like talking. I didn't always, <laughs> uh, but I talk to people, and I I talk to people a little more the ones that disagree with me or not necessarily disagree but the ones that share a different perspective I try to talk to them more yes yes and not necessarily to change their mind but in hopes that they see a different perspective in in Richmond this one lady who was She's actually on this video. It's called Against Hate. And she was up there, and she was known to be kind of homophobic. I invited her to our first Pride event. Hmm. And she came. And she says, either I'm here, you know, to support you. I don't understand, and I don't necessarily agree with, you know, your choice. But I'm here. Hmm. And I thanked her because having one step forward, even if you don't not quite all the way there yet, one step forward is one step forward and not backwards. Yes. And I think we have to just keep having conversations, even with those that, that share a different perspective. I have a friend, I call him my Republican. <laughs> He's not my only Republican friend, but at the time he was. He was the first friend that I had that was openly Republican. <laughs> uh, and at the time, he was in the military. And he was in the closet, very conservative, very religious. And we had this love-hate relationship, actually more love than anything else. Sometimes it just got a little harder. But I remember talking to him one day and he calls me and he says, Caesar, I'm very sad. Uh, one of my friends just got kicked out because of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. They found out he was gay. And I said, congratulations to you. Oof. And he said, F you. What are you talking about? I said, you, by not coming out and by not fighting against Doma, Oh, I'm sorry, don't ask, don't tell. You allowed this to happen. And not just that, he was so in the closet that he was actually helping the military keep don't ask, don't tell on the books. Mm. 
Methinks he doesn't. So when I told him much. that, it hit him hmm. really, really hard. Yeah. And he started realizing, oh, I just shot myself in the foot and my friend. And a few weeks later, she says, called me and says, Caesar, I've joined HRC. Oh, wow. Perfect. It wasn't about him looking at things my way or agreeing or disagreeing. It's just having that conversation and allowing them to see a different perspective. And maybe they'll start realizing things could be different and they could be okay. Respect others, but don't treat others so badly that you can't see that you're treating yourself badly as well. Like if you're creating anti-gay laws and you are gay, it's coming back to get you. So, yeah. but, you know, keeping the conversation forward, talking about history, something that we have to keep doing, talking to our elders, talking to just anybody you can talk to, and always teaching them and allowing them to learn or to just listen. Wouldn't it be amazing to have more politicians like you, Caesar, who not only look across the aisle and see them as human beings, but also take a risk and reach across and invite them into your world and and actually make a difference? Because you, I think you 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 seem like you approach everyone, regardless of their political situation, with dignity, and you treat people with respect, and that's. That's the kind of political discourse that we need in the country right now, as opposed to just focusing on everybody's evil. And I, I wish you all the best, and I hope everybody that's listening will, will do something, even if it's to, you know, to give a few bucks to your campaign or, or go help out and make a couple of phone calls or just go to your website and share it or post it on Facebook or, you know, just do something because not everybody's going to have the chance to have heard this and... I, if, if I lived where you were, I'd, I'd definitely help out and, and vote if I weren't registered in New York City. <laughs> We've got vacancies. You can come over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for calling, Caesar. And you're always welcome to, to call back and or to, to come in in person, especially as the election approaches. Oh, thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. I will definitely check you up on that. Great. Uh, anytime that we can go out there and talk about our community and how we can bring us together. Yes. And forget that we're, well, we might have different letters in the alphabet to try to define who we are. We're all defined by being one large, big community. Yeah, we're all part of the same alphabet. Yep. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Caesar, and uh, we'll we'll talk soon. Perfect. Thank you, guys. You guys have a great rest of the day. Thanks. You Thank too. Thank you, Caesar. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, that was lovely. So we're going to be closing up the show in a little bit. It's going to play some music, and then we'll be back in a moment. And here is a request of a song called Generals and Majors uh, by XTC. And thanks to Brandon for requesting this.
Thanks for listening, everybody. Big thanks to Cesar Zapeta for calling in. And you can check Cesar out. At, he's running for Richmond City Council. Also, a big thank you to TJ Mannix, our surprise guest, for coming uh-huh. in. Uh-huh. And a big thank you to Austin Smith for, for passing the word along to TJ. Yeah, Austin's a rock star. Yeah. So you listen to Mutiny Radio. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. You're listening to Mutiny Radio. I'm clearly in a much, much better mood than I was when I started the show, and I was like, everything sucks. I'm bitter. I'm sleepy. Blah, blah, blah. People do make everything better. So thanks again to everyone for being involved today and for going out and showing up and making the world a better place. We're closing out the show with another request uh, from Brandon Griggs. I think everybody knows this one. Taking you back to the 80s, (laughs) a decade which was – we won't won't talk about it, but there were some (laughs) – cool art that was produced this is one of those songs have a wonderful week everyone and we'll be back next friday
Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and Beyond's Underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's Deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere $5 every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because $5, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere $5 is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So then all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. Want to go to Burning Man, but you don't have the right goggles, costume, or attitude? Visit 20 Mission Hive at 2415 Mission Street between 20th and 21st in the heart of the Mission District. Easily accessible by BART, this collective of unique artists and vendors has eclectic handmade clothing, leatherwork, artisan jewelry, antiques, crystals, and there's even an amazing florist. Whisper pirate ship to your 20 Mission Hive vendor for a special 10% discount on the coolest, most original items in San Francisco. That's 20 Mission Hive with eight vendors and like them on Facebook at 20 Mission Hive. 20 Mission Hive for awesome events and updates. The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday, 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. 
rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk, come together with music from around the world, with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio, when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment, wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform Radio for Free Minds. and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event now. Well, hey there, San Francisco. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini. And creamylicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They got them. And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads going to come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son. and live music promotion, go to www.subliminalsf.com and check out their hilarious t-shirts and super cool bands at clubs and bars all over the Bay Area. Subliminal SF creates amazing flyers, posters, and design for every need. So go now to www. 
www.subliminalsf.com and experience what this wonderful local business has to offer. Oh, happy hour. What could be happier than 23 comics doing jokes for each other and at a radio listening audience? Puppets, kittens, unicorns, porn maybe? Oh, well, stage time makes them happy. And this super happy comedy open mic is open every Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. But you can also listen anytime by downloading the podcast at Mutiny Radio FM Index at podcasts.pcrcollective.org. So come live or listen later or to every happy hour mic Friday from 6 to 8 p.m. at Radio FL Mutiny Radio. I just fucked that up again. What the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah! You got it. I got it. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Four ninety-nine. On to California. Jonathan, I...